Welcome to the Responsibly Different mini-series exploring the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, helping you set meaningful goals in 2023. Welcome to the Responsibly Different mini-series featuring the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. In this episode, Brittany and I will be discussing zero hunger, which is goal number two. We hope that after this episode, we will all have learned a thing or two about food, how we consume food, how we grow food, and how not everyone in the world has the same access to it. As defined by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number two, to end hunger, achieve food security, and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. For this goal, there are five outcome targets and three means of implementation. We will link to all of them in the show notes for you so you can explore them further on your own. For this episode, as we did our research, we were keeping the parts of target 2.3 and 2.4 in mind. 2.3 is set by the United Nations that by 2030, we would double the agricultural productivity and incomes of small-scale food producers. Target 2.4 is that also by 2023, we would ensure sustainable food production systems and implement resilient agricultural practices that increase productivity and production that help maintain ecosystems strengthen capacity for adaptation to climate change, extreme weather, drought, flooding, and other disasters, and that progressively improve land and soil quality. Hopefully, through this episode, we can help you continue your learning on this topic and introduce you to how business can be a leading force for change. I think the last I saw, one in eight Americans is food insecure. So that's 42 million people around the country. Um, one in six children, so 13 million children in the U.S. are were seen as um, food insecure in 2021. So, you know, it, it essentially means that we all have food insecurity around us, right? Like no matter where we live, wherever our kids go to school, there are, you know, in, in my own kids' school, there are kids who are food insecure and who are reliant on um, on various forms of food assistance to just, you know, make sure that families have food on the table. That's Kirsten, founder of Revolutions Food. It is so easy to take for granted that we have access to food. And in my community, I personally have access to food in a number of different ways. I have a few different grocery stores, all within 15 minutes of my house. I have local farm stands for different farmers open yearly. I have farmer's markets downtown in the summer and once a month in the winter. And I have my own garden where I try to grow staple veggies. But the important thing to remember about all the ways I just listed, how I can get food, is that not everyone in the world has the same access. So how can we change that? There are people and families who are kind of dipping in and out of food insecurity on a weekly, monthly basis. There are people who are food insecure at the end of every month when the paycheck starts running dry. There are there are families who are food insecure seasonally um, because of seasonal work and um, you know kind of ebbs and flows of the of the job market. 
Being reminded of what we might not see every day about food insecurities is a great step for us to dig deeper into the United Nations goal number two, zero hunger. According to the USDA in 2020, over 38 million people, including over 12 million children, were food insecure in the United States. That's one in eight people and one in six children facing food insecurity every day right here in the U.S. The stats that you're seeing in the agricultural sector right now are honestly terrifying. Whether it's around food insecurity, it's lack of availability, those stats are by far what keeps me up at night. That's Emily Bland, seed EO of Succeed, based out of central Newfoundland in Labrador, the first certified B Corporation on the east coast of Canada, making the B Corp movement a coast-to-coast movement in Canada. And to me, they're a result of us almost over-urbanizing the agricultural sector. So instead of everyone kind of contributing to having small farms or backyard gardens, we've now started to depend on super farms to be able to feed us all. And then when you have transportation issues or you have food contamination scares, they have such a larger impact on everyone. Um, You look at the cost of living right now, it's continuing to skyrocket and the cost of food is a big portion of that that's continuing to increase and increase and increase. Um, The solution isn't simple. If there was, this is such an important issue that people would have solved it right now. But honestly, it's one of those things that's going to take all of us completely disrupting an industry that we've had for generations in order to create a food system that makes sense today. And that's going to be adopting a lot of new technologies um, like hydroponics and aeroponics and vertical towers um, and learning to preserve and transport food a lot more efficiently than we have at any point in the world at this point. Emily then shared with me what Succeed is doing to help these problems. So going back to the United Nations uh, Zero Hunger Goal, for us, that's embedded in kind of three core areas of what we do at Succeed. So the first part is food accessibility and actually making food available in communities, um, in schools. So we take a lot of time to make sure that when we're looking at the schools that we're going to work with over the upcoming year, that we're taking a wide variety um, of demographics and backgrounds and places into account. Um, The second is that food is actually affordable. Our gardens produce lettuce for less than 24 cents a head, and I challenge you to find lettuce heads that are fresh and that cheap anywhere else. So making sure that our gardens are affordable, supplies to be able to grow as affordable is a big part of it. And then the other core part is for us is culturally appropriate and healthy food. Ethnic background you come from, Typically, hydroponics is one of the most diverse ways of growing. So whether it's mustard greens that you want um, or it's lettuce or it's a special herb, we typically are able to empower people to grow the type of food it is that they want to eat. And you will hear these problems that she is trying to solve with Succeed's mission are near and dear to her heart. So to me, there is a personal connection to it. So I grew up on a farm um, in central Newfoundland and Labrador. And my entire life, I never, ever wanted to be a farmer because the exposure that I had had to agriculture um, from a classroom perspective was kind of growing this bean plant in soil 
And like what kid got excited about a bean plant that only grew <laughs> 50% of the time? Um, despite that, one in nine jobs in Canada are actually in the agricultural sector. But me as a farm kid, I didn't even want to be a farmer when I grew up. So how could you expect youth to get passionate about food security and helping to feed our world when we weren't integrating it correctly into the classroom. So schools for Succeed has become a huge part of what we do. We work with about 35,000 students, 1,200 educators across Canada mostly, um, empowering them to teach sustainable agriculture through hydroponic production in the classroom, the use of sensors and technology, and using a lens of sustainability as well. So it's speaking to kids things that they're excited about already, whether it's coding or it's design work or it's sustainability of the planet and actually teaching them to be farmers in kind of a new age of agriculture. And as Emily was pointing out before, farmers do not have the ability to control the climate. But we asked Emily to break down what a hydroponic system is and why it is more reliable for farmers. So succeeds on a mission to help the world grow. Hydroponics is a way of growing fresh produce without the use of sun or soil. So you're using water, uh, nutrients, and a growth medium with an LED light to be able to grow fresh produce um, indoors. So it doesn't depend on climate, um, the weather it is outdoors. You can literally grow no matter where you are. Hydroponics comes in six different types. Um, at Succeed, we use what's called a deep water culture system. So it has a large reservoir of water at the bottom um, in which you add your nutrients to it. And then we have a bubbler similar to what you'd see in a fish tank, which helps to aerate the roots, um, a growth medium on top where you plant your seeds, and then a light on top. So you can do more of a vertical setup. Um, a lot of those end up being aeroponics, but we focus on deep water culture, uh, mostly because it has the, one of the biggest diversity of plants that you can grow. So you can grow tomatoes or lettuce or basil. Um, we've had classes grow pumpkins and pole beans and <laughs> eggplants. I can't imagine the interest I would have in hydroponics if I was growing pumpkins in a vertical tower from a young student's age. So cool. But speaking of young students, that makes me want to transition to the next company I want to introduce into the conversation. Certified B Corp Revolutions Foods sets out to use business to help solve food insecurity through the education system. Kirsten was a teacher, researcher, and garden educator and witnessed firsthand the value and importance of ensuring all students have access to not just food, but nutritious meals that would set students up for success. Founded back in 2006 and a certified B Corp since 2011, today, Revolution Foods employs over 1,000 people providing meals to over 2,500 schools, municipalities, and customer sites in 23 states. They have six culinary centers that produce and deliver freshly prepared, delicious, and affordable food products every day. Listen to how Kirsten's journey with Revolution Foods is helping people with food insecurity in all our communities across the United States. Historically, we were very focused on kids in the K through 12, um, you know, education system. And, uh, and as, and it was actually when we, we've, we've done a little bit of work with seniors and, and other um, adult programs. But when COVID hit a couple of years ago, what we found was that cities and counties and um, you know, municipalities started realizing that they had food insecure people who were either out of work, 
you know, food insecure because they couldn't get to the grocery store. It was unsafe for them to get to the grocery store um, or, you know, needing to shelter in place and, and be, you know, not, not leave a, a certain area um, because of COVID. And so, you know, many cities and counties started actually feeding food insecure adults in ways that they never had before. And isn't that amazing? A company seeing a problem in their community and changing the way that they work to fit the needs of the community. Soon after making that switch, Kirsten and her team started to look into more programs to help sustain this new adventure. So now there are, now we're, we're working on kind of how do we continue to make food accessible to those food insecure adults? And there are programs under Medicare and Medicaid. Um, you know, health insurers are starting to use food as a medicine, um, you know, sort of as, as a source of, of uh, preventive medicine for their, you know, more kind of vulnerable patients. So it's, I would say it's, it's, we're kind of working through that pivot from the pandemic era of, you know, a lot of meals being able to be, you know, accessible to adults to now, you know, figuring out which government programs are going to continue and which, which are going to kind of evolve into new, new forms of food assistance for adults and seniors. My mind's next question naturally was great. We have identified who needs the food and maybe some ways to help them pay for it, which is so important because the true value of food is somewhere I want to dig into next. From our conversation with Jean-Marc, the CEO of Alterfin, a B Corp based in Brussels, Belgium, Jean-Marc was able to break down this idea of good and bad food and how the price point we pay is not reflective of food's true value. The true value of food is um, a model that says that currently food is not priced as it should be. In other words, the bad food, the food that is bad for your health and that is bad for the environment because it's poorly produced, is cheap. And the good food, the, the food that is good for your health and that is good for the environment because it's been produced respecting the environment and paying the farmers decent levels, that one is expensive. And when you buy that food in the supermarket, what is not priced in are the side effects of the production and consumption of the bad food. So there is a cost to producing and consuming bad food. And currently that cost is not integrated in the price, but it should, it absolutely should. And if it was, when you go to the supermarket, what you would find is that the bad food, the food that is bad for your health and bad for the environment, would be priced higher than the good food. That's what the true value of food should be. The true value of food is all about ensuring that we, the consumers, need to use our dollars that we spend to help companies know we support them in their efforts to do what is right for our health and our environment. And this is where you and I have a say, not just as people who can support organizations such as Autofin or others that try to help the farmers, but also we have a say as consumers. As consumers, we can make a difference. When you buy, if you have the choice between two brands of coffee, check whether one of them has a fair trade certification or not. If it doesn't have it, don't buy it. If you have the choice between two types of food, one organic, bio food, the other one not, Go for the former. Now you might be thinking the same as us. Jean-Marc has all this great information, but is he living out through his business practices? And the answer is yes. Here is Jean-Marc telling us a bit more about how Alterfin, 
has been in business for almost 30 years, working to help change the industry. What Altafin has been trying to do in a modest way since 94 was to focus on smallholder farmers. A smallholder farmer is a farmer that owns a plot of land of one or two acres and that will grow four, five, six different uh, crops on it. Some of them they will be able to monetize. Uh, they'll be able to sell them to, uh, to buyers, local buyers or international buyers. And some of them, most of them, they will keep for their own consumption. So it's important that these farmers are able to continue to thrive. What Altafin has been doing together with other organizations, for instance, is to, to look at what we can do to support the monetization process. So the, the food production that they can sell out, like cocoa or coffee, which can be easily monetized, need to have access to a market. The individual farmer cannot uh, effectively access that market. But if that farmer uh, works for an agriculture a small and medium-sized enterprise, or is organized within a cooperative of smallholder farmers, then the story is different. Okay, but let's back up first. Alterfin is working with farmers to ensure their agricultural practices are sustainable. But what does sustainability mean to them, and can agriculture be sustainable? Um, so let's look at the, the concept of sustainability. What does it mean? What sustainability means that you can enjoy something without endangering that same uh, enjoyment by future generations. So in other words, um, anything you produce and consume is done in such a way that uh, future generations can have the same. We have come at a point uh, in time when agriculture is no longer uh, sustainable. And when you look at the agricultural activity around the planet, it is now one of the, the biggest contributors to climate change because of the, the, the pollution that uh, it's provoking. What we uncovered when talking with Jean-Marc was how the history of the agricultural industry became this problematic. In the late 19th century, what you started seeing was a, a more industrial process of agriculture, which uh, started in the U.S. and, and started uh, Actually, I think for, for the right reasons, it was to, to increase the output uh, and, and feed people and, uh, and provide more food. Now, what that meant is, of course, that um, uh, for the first time, there was uh, uh, more frequent uh, recourse to inorganic fertilizers, so chemical fertilizers. And uh, that increased the yield of the harvests, but what it did do also to start these cycles of impoverishing the soils and, and kind of uh, destroying the topsoils or, or started uh, impacting the, the food chain because uh, you, know, you, start, uh, you start killing insects and then uh, the birds are next, etc., etc. So it's the whole food chain uh, which suffer. Of course, we are on top of that food chain, so we don't see it coming for a while, but eventually it does hit us. Um, that uh, more and more species are being uh, impacted by that. And as a result, it's our entire ecosystem that is suffering. Well, I can't say I was surprised to find out that in a race to produce more food so we could feed more people faster, we found a solution that would focus on just getting that job done. But what we didn't think about back in the late 19th century was that the effects these actions would have on our planet. Sustainable agriculture is an agriculture that does not lead to these um, perverse effects. 
uh, of uh, ecosystem destruction. And that is why it is important to have Alterfin helping provide funding for farmers. Jean-Marc shares an important perspective, and we also were able to get Emily's perspective as one of the farmers growing up in this space from such a young age. So if you go back to agriculture and some of its earliest forms, it was what I kind of refer to as community-based agriculture. So you had one person uh, maybe doing carrots in their backyard, another one did lots of lettuce, and you almost shared that food within the community. And that is tied in so closely if you look back to indigenous um, cultures and values, that sharing the food that we grow and coming together to share that food is where agricultural started. And I think it's been a case of we get caught up in consumerism and everything needing to be bigger, 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 that we've gone the complete other way. So we've now created this expectation that a small group of people are responsible for feeding the entire world. And agriculture is not easy. It's not something that you can predict. We cannot control the weather as farmers. We cannot kind of decide that it's going to be sunny this day and rainy the next. It's such a fragile system that we more and more need to diversify where agriculture is taking place, what we are growing, but also the methods that we use to grow it. It's time that we start to think about how our actions affect everything around us. We are all connected. Alterfin is working to fund our small and medium sharehold farmers on sustainable agriculture. Succeed is working with new technology to create a more sustained food source. And Revolutions Food is ensuring that everyone has access to get that food. Thank you for tuning into this episode. This was Goal 2, Zero Hunger. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something you can take back into your daily life. Make sure you join us again to learn about all the other goals that the United Nations has put forward for us all to work towards. Until next time, be responsibly different. Slow it down, it's okay. It's on my own bright future in the lights today. I can show you too, like it's 1962. Got a bright future. In the nick of time Got a bright future In the nick of time Bright future in the nick of time This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly, Ben Marine and Brittany Angelo. We purchased this music from the amazing B Corp Marmoset Music. You can check them out at marmosetmusic.com. To learn more about us, visit responsiblydifferent.com. And to learn more about our parent company, visit dirigocollective.com. <laughs>